well, here we are, Christmas Eve. And now last week we spoke about how in Christmas we have the condescension of God, that God comes down, that the infinite, eternal, unchangeable God becomes a feeble, fleeting, finite human being. And that is what we celebrate today. We celebrate the historical fact that God became man. We celebrate that fact today. But it's not enough to just leave that kind of out there as a historical fact. We can't actually celebrate Christmas just recognizing that that is true, that that happened. We want to recognize what that actually means for us personally. What does it mean that Jesus Christ came to dwell among us? What is its significance for us? What does it mean for us in our worship? So that's the question I want to answer today. How can we make this day personal so that it's not just a holiday, it's actually something that we can personally celebrate in our hearts and souls? I think it's sort of like the British celebrating the 4th of July. So they can celebrate the 4th of July. They can go through the motions, at least. Right? They can eat the hot dogs. They can shoot off the fireworks. They can put up American flags, but they're not actually celebrating because it's not their holiday. They can go through the motions, but there's no actual joy behind it. So this Christmas, I want to make sure that we are celebrating Christmas as our Christmas, as our holiday, as people who understand it from, from the core of our being and the core of our hearts. So that is our goal this morning. And so we're going to ask two questions about Christmas. We know that Jesus became man. We're going to ask, what does that matter for you and me? What does it actually mean? And second, how do we respond to that fact? How does it change how we celebrate this holiday? So we're going to be looking at Luke 2, verses, starting with verse 4, going all the way through 21. So we can turn there. You might be familiar with the story. It might be a little more exciting in the version that Catherine read. But we shall read it nonetheless. So we're looking at Luke chapter 2, uh, starting with verse 4. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 4. Verse 4. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth among those with whom he is pleased. 
When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. All right. So let's jump into this. Uh, starting with verse 4 through 7, we see the actual story. And we all know the story. This is, this is Jesus born in a manger. Now this is the fact of Christmas. This is the historical fact 2,000 years ago. This is part of what we celebrate. But we want to also know what it means for us. And so that's what we're going to be looking at mostly tonight. What does it mean for us? Now, first of all, the angels coming to the shepherds is a picture of what happened in Christmas. Because we think of who the angel is. The angel is this glorious heavenly being with splendor and majesty. And then we think of the shepherds. And as we talked about in our story, the shepherds were the riffraff. We think that shepherds, we think of, oh, uh, the Lord is our shepherd. I shall not want... And we think, oh, well, shepherds must have had a great reputation. They didn't, actually. They were actually not very well regarded. They were poor. They were outcasts. They were kind of off away from the rest of the people, hanging out with animals. And so they weren't well regarded. In fact, they had the stigma of being kind of sinners and unfaithful and rejected by God. So that rabbis of the time actually said, how could God be a shepherd? That would be an insult to God. Why, why do we have this Psalm 23? And so when we see the angels coming to, of all men, to shepherds, we see the, the glorious heavens and the, the lowly on the earth kind of coming together. This is a symbol of what happened in Christmas. That the infinite God came down to heaven, from heaven to earth to bless his people. So the angels are actually reinforcing that symbolic meaning. But then the angels actually come and they explicitly explain what is happening here. Verse 10. The angels said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The angel comes bringing good news. Now, good news. That's actually what the gospel stands for. When we talk about the gospel, you've probably heard that. That means good news. It's a good message. A message like, you've got a raise, or, or here's a free car. You won the lottery. Those are good, good news. That's that kind of category of stuff. This is good news, and it's good news that brings great joy. Now, what is great joy? Now, great joy is not just kind of a, a drop in the happiness bucket. Great joy is a joy that lasts, a joy that cannot be taken from us. It's a happiness that actually transcends whatever suffering or sorrow comes into your life. That you have kind of a base level happiness, a joy that cannot be taken because of something happened to you that was so fantastic. That is what the angel comes to bring. 
good news of great joy. Now we're going to ask, why should all people have everlasting happiness? Well, the angel tells us, because, verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The great news, the joy of this season is the fact that this is the birthday of our Savior. Our Savior. Now that should be enough. We should all be like all excited. But unfortunately, we can throw around that word Savior and like hope that people get really excited about it. I think Christians are, are notorious for that. They're like, oh, well, Jesus saved you. And like no one gets excited and they're like not really sure what happened. Well, the problem is that it doesn't really connect with us. It doesn't connect with me that much. Like, oh, how much do I need a savior? You're probably not looking for a savior at the moment. Maybe you're looking for some help. Maybe you're looking for one of those good gifts that I described earlier. The free car. No, no one's going to look under the seat. Don't, don't look under there. No one's going to get anything. Um, we want those sorts of of things. But a savior, it just doesn't connect with us that much. So it's my job to connect the dots for you. Why do you need a savior? Well, I think there's a number of reasons. We're going to start with the most obvious one. We need a savior from sin. What is sin? Sin is the fact that we, we break God's law. He tells us what to do. We don't do it. That is sin. Now, that's probably the one you most expected. And the reason it's mo the one we most expect is because uh, it is kind of our cosmic spiritual problem, is sin. And so we need a savior from that sin. We most often talk about that as we need s salvation from the consequences of that sin. Namely, the wrath of God and his judgment, his justice, from hell itself. That that is a real spiritual need that we have. And we need a savior, someone to take that judgment in our place. That's what we, we truly do need a savior. The problem though is that it tends to be the only thing that people think of. That's the only thing people need salvation from. And we can overhype that aspect of Jesus' salvation. But there's more to it than that. Jesus is more than just a savior to keep you from going to hell. And if I say that, like, who wants to rejoice with me? Like, no, it just doesn't get you that far. So there's more to it than that. So how else is Jesus a savior? We also need salvation from the effects of sin in us. That we are personally sinful. And God hates sin because sin destroys his people. It enslaves his people. It hurts his people. And so we need to be free from our slavery to sin. We need a savior who can deliver us out of our sin and keep us from being trapped forever in it. Because all of your problems are rooted in sin. We think of the bitterness in our hearts, our hatred, our unforgiveness. At the root of that is sin. We need a, a savior from it. We need salvation. But then we, we broaden the scope so you can look at 
your individual heart, you need a savior. But the world needs a salvation from sin. We think of the fact that it starts with me, but it's bigger than me. Just like the song we sung. You know, there is sin on a, on a global level. We think of things like racism, of, of bigotry, of misogyny, all of these things. These are much bigger than just you and me. The world needs a savior. We need a savior because of sin. But, all right, so you probably all expected me to talk about that aspect of it. But there's another side to our savior, Jesus Christ, that we can miss if we just talk about sin. We also need salvation from the secondary effects of sin, the suffering and the misery that sin brings with it. And I think those are the things that we feel more acutely. We feel the need for a savior from our suffering. And Jesus is that savior as well. So that when you're dealing with the fact that, how do I deal with the fact that this life seems meaningless? Or that I'm, I'm hopeless because everything's just going to disappear in the end. Jesus is the savior for that as well. We think of things like despair and guilt or shame and worthlessness of isolation and loneliness of fears and doubts of anxiety of the looming reality of death itself Jesus is a savior and we need salvation from sin and from suffering So I'd ask you, I'd ask you, what do you need salvation from? That might look different for each of you. This, this evening, what do you connect with? Why do you need a savior? If you're going to celebrate Christmas, you're going to have to answer that question. Or else there's going to be no joy because there's no need for Jesus. And we usually don't stop and ask that question because we don't like that question. Because we feel helpless and we feel like we don't have a savior and these things are hard so we just distract ourselves. But this Christmas Eve, let's, let's ask ourselves, what do we need salvation from? And then let's remember that we have that savior in Jesus Christ. That that is what Christmas is about. Christmas is the coming of a savior the savior of whatever you are wrestling with. And we have that savior with us. He, he started his saving work on Christmas. That is what Christmas is about. Jesus Christ was born into this world. He kind of came into the muck and the mire of the misery. And why did he come? He, come, he came so that he might die. He might die for sin. And he might die for our suffering. And he might deliver us. Bring us out of this dark place and be a light. A light of new life. That we are reborn as new people. That we have a new power against sin. We are no longer enslaved. And he came to offer us comfort and love in the midst of our suffering. That is what Jesus came to do. And he came to assure us of his love. He came to ensure that 
in the future, when we look to the future, we don't just see this meaningless black pit. No, that there is life after death, that there is a new kingdom afterwards, that there is a life without sin or misery ever again, the new heavens and the new earth. That is what Jesus came to offer us. He is our Savior. And that is what this angel comes to say to these men. That your Savior is born this day. And then that one Savior, that one angel, becomes a whole multitude. Look at verse 13. Suddenly there was, an angel, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This one angel erupts into thousands upon thousands. We can imagine the whole, the whole night sky filling up with the glory of God as thousands of angels start to praise God for what he is doing in this child, Jesus Christ. God become man. And we're surprised by what they say here. They say something that's kind of odd. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. What does that mean? He's basically focusing in and the angels are saying that there is a group of people with whom God is pleased. And there is peace for those people. Now the question is, what, why, why have they pleased God? If you know your Bible well, you know that sinful people don't often please God. That's not really our, our MO. We don't please God. And so it must be that there's a group of people who have been saved by this Savior, who have received the message, and who are kind of now in this new group, who are able to rejoice with everlasting joy, who are the saved of God. And so I'm going to ask us the second question. We're moving to the second point is, how do we respond to this message of a Savior in a way that we might actually be saved? That we might be able to rejoice this Christmas knowing that that Savior is not just out there as some kind of fact, but is our personal Savior. That he is for us that we might rejoice. Now thankfully the shepherds actually did their part in that. They show us the way. So let's look at verse 15. They actually hear this good news and they respond by going to Jesus. Verse 15. When the angels went away from, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now that may seem like the obvious response. That if a bunch of angels come and tell you like, oh yeah, this is, this is God and this is your Savior, you should go see him. We expect, well, of course they would go. But I think the point is, like we said earlier, the shepherds are kind of the outcasts. And they go to see Jesus because they know they need a savior. That the angels come to the shepherds because other people might not have gone to see Jesus. And we know all too well that oftentimes we're not that interested in Jesus. We don't often go see him. 
maybe we're too lazy to do so, or we're just not sure about this claim about Jesus, or we just, we just aren't really sure, so we don't go. And we miss the Savior. We don't go and see. And the thing is that that's the difference between hearing the news, hearing the good news, and being saved by the good news. I think too often we can focus on the good news and say that, oh yeah, I heard the good news, I I must be saved. It's not about the news. The news isn't doing the saving. The news is merely supposed to point us to the fact that we should go to Jesus. That Jesus is the Savior. That salvation is found in Him. That joy is found in Him. That we, are, we please God by being found in Him. This is a personal Savior who we run to because the angel has told us not to just rejoice in the news, but to go to Jesus and see Him. So I'd ask you, this Christmas Eve... What keeps you from going to Jesus? What keeps you from just hearing the message but not going to see him? Maybe we're just kind of apathetic. Or we're distracted. We're just too lazy to go. And I'd say if that's the case, then, and that's the case for me sometimes, we are fools. Why would we not go and, and rejoice in Jesus? that he offers himself to us for our own sake. So that's one possibility, but maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you're not sure about this Jesus. And I would say, if you are skeptical, then you need to do your homework. You need to ask Jesus your questions. Make this a personal interaction with the God of the universe. And maybe he'll surprise you. Don't think that you know all the questions or that you know Christ just because you know Christians. Now, many of you know Christians, and and the thing is, like, we all like Jesus more than we like each other, (laughs) right? (laughs) We should, we should. And that because we love Jesus so much, we're willing to put up with Christians. I think that's more the case than that we kind of see so much of Christ in one another. No, we, we all love Jesus. And so if you haven't known Jesus, you haven't heard your questions answered by Jesus himself, I think it, it's worth giving him another look. But finally, maybe you just think it's too good to be true. And maybe you've heard these promises before. And you've heard that, well, yeah, there's, there's all this joy in Jesus, but... Oftentimes, it's just harder than, than it is that. Maybe you feel like you've been oversold Jesus. Oversold him. I would say that if that's the case, maybe you haven't seen all of Jesus. Maybe you've just heard of the save you from hell kind of Jesus. And that's not the full picture of him. You've kind of been sold half a bike. And then you're saying like, well, I, I just don't really enjoy bikes that much. No, no maybe you haven't gotten the whole thing yet. Or maybe the the impersonal message about Jesus hasn't translated to a relationship with him. That's going to mean all the difference in how true these promises are or not. 
that if your Savior is just this impersonal concept of a cross, then it's not going to be full of joy and full of intimacy. But I want to make sure that uh, I am not overselling Jesus. I am not overselling Jesus. So what is, what is true of your life once you come to Christ? There are some things that happen immediately, right away. Right that second. You will receive forgiveness. You'll receive mercy. You'll receive grace. That you will no longer ever be punished. You will no longer ever have your sins held against you. All that stuff is instantaneous. But I think we want that to happen in all of our lives, in every aspect. And I, I want to say that your suffering will not end here and now, immediately. That hard times will not end. But I want to say, as the hymn says, what does it say? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That our lives change as we come to know Jesus. And that salvation is found in him, that we walk differently. That suffering is actually used for glory. That our sins help us see the glory of Jesus Christ. That our whole lives are changed as we do life with Jesus. But have that caveat we are not promised rainbows and butterflies. We are promised joy. And a joy that, that kind of outstrips those other happinesses. And finally, I want to say that there is the final salvation. That Jesus came once and he's coming again. And we all know that, that when he comes, there will no, be no more sin or misery. There will be nothing but joy. Nothing but joy. And that is what we're looking forward to. So, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? He'd say, go to Jesus. Go to your Savior. Know Him. Know Him personally. Try praying to Him. Try talking to Him. When's the last time you had a good heart-to-heart -heart with Jesus? And you can be honest with Him. It doesn't have to be this like high, fluffy language. No, tell him what you need salvation from. Come to learn what it means to have the joy of a Savior. Enjoy who he is. Enjoy his love and his mercy. Enjoy the fact that you have a relationship with him. Look at verse 17. This is how the, how the shepherds respond. When they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds go and they, they just start overflowing with telling people about Jesus. That's when you know you've met him. When you can't stop telling other people about Jesus. We have a chance to do that tonight with these cookies, which seems kind of silly. But it is a chance to talk about Jesus. That is how we respond. That's how we celebrate with joy Christmas Eve. And finally, look at verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. These shepherds, 
are praising God. These shepherds are celebrating. These are shepherds doing Christmas Eve right. They have joy in their hearts because they know a Savior. Now that's a joy that's more than just kind of a, a taped on smile. This is a joy that transcends whether or not you get the gifts you want or whether the food's good or your family's annoying or not. No, this is an everlasting happiness and joy that is only found in Jesus. And it's only if you know that Jesus that you'll be able to celebrate Christmas as your holiday, as your joy. And so I would, I would say to all of us, let's have a joyful Christmas Eve because we remember that we have a Savior. And let us rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us the gifts that, that we truly need. You give us a Savior. You give us Jesus Christ and that we can know him and love him and be with him. That he is our eternal gift. Father, I ask that we would praise you now. That we would rejoice in you. That we'd be full of thanksgiving that you have given us a Savior. Father, make our hearts glad that we may worship with all of our hearts because you have loved us so well. Amen. All right, so the last thing we have to do is we have been waiting a long time. We've been going through Advent. We've been going week through week. So we have hope, the hope candle, the peace candle, the joy candle, the love candle. And we've been lighting these. All right, so we have hope, peace, joy, and love. And all of these things are true because of the Christ candle. That we are waiting for all these things. We are assured of all of these things because we are assured that Christ came once and he is coming again. And it is the light of Christ that is coming. So that when Jesus described his ministry, what did he say? The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Jesus Christ describes himself as the light in the darkness. That in the darkness of sin and suffering and death, God sent a light. And that light is Christ. And so let us rejoice that we are no longer in the darkness, but we have been found in the light. So today I light the Christ candle.